Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. McDavid centers. One-timer score. Oscar Clefbaum in Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time, it's Clefbaum. He'll swing it out to the outside, and it is to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. Darrell Walker with the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. The Edmonton Oilers make it official. They have filled out their coaching staff for next season. Joining head coach Todd McClellan are the following assistants. Glenn Gullitson, who was the Calgary Flames head coach for the last couple of seasons. Trent Yanni, former Chicago Blackhawks head coach, who was with the Anaheim Ducks as an assistant coach for the last four years. And this man, Manny Viveros, who we welcome back to Inside Sports. Manny, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, first of all, congratulations on the new job. And it's kind of funny, congratulations on finally being an Edmonton Oiler, the team that drafted you back in 1984 as a player. Funny how it works out, eh? Yeah, no, it's a little bit surreal. Uh, you know, it's kind of a bit of a, it's certainly the homecoming for us, uh, my family and I, to come back to, to uh, St. Albert and have an opportunity. It's so blessed and fortunate to have an opportunity to work for the Oilers. You know, obviously, you had an incredible season in Swift Current, and I'll ask you later on maybe to, to kind of put a, a capper on it, but obviously you were coach of the year. that The team did really well. You know, Manny, I, I, know, uh, I know there are some things that obviously happen behind closed doors, but, I, you know, just for, for listeners who might be interested in the business of hockey or how coaches try to progress, what was it like coaching the Broncos, yet also, you know, being spoken to by NHL opportunities and, and uh, weighing some things about your future at an intense time of year? Well, you know, first of all, the, the teams and especially the Oilers were so respectful and in, in knowing, uh, uh, very well knowing that uh, how, you know, deep we're in the playoffs and, you know, how important this part of the season was for, for our organization. And they were very, very respectful and, and very patient. And, uh, and what, uh, you know, when there was time to, to have, have a conversation and talk, like that, we were, it was good for both sides. And they were really, uh, really good as far as, uh, you know, let me know that any time that I couldn't do it or talk, uh, they, they would understand it. And uh, um, But we found time. And uh, most importantly, able to, you know, uh, you know get uh, take care of both things and uh, very fortunate enough to feel you know, I, I don't know how much you knew Todd McClellan from from before this process, but was there anything that made you feel there uh, there might be a connection there? And when I say connection, I don't just mean um, philosophies, because sometimes it's it's important to even disagree a little bit or, or present new ideas. But maybe just that connection in terms of um, the ability to communicate and, and be open minded with each other. 
Well, I think that's real important as far as any successful uh, staff, whether it's hockey or, or in business, you've got to have uh, open dialogue. And, and uh, a lot of times, uh, you don't always have to agree on, on everything, but the important thing is being able to discuss it and, and speak freely. And, and that's something Todd has uh, really encouraged. He says that he wants that from uh, his coaching staff uh, for next season here, and he wants to hear ideas and, and to have discussions and debates about uh, uh, different things and that too. And I think that anytime you get into healthy dialogue and conversation, it certainly is going to you know make uh, you know the, the team better and also the coaching staff better also too. So I'm looking forward to you know I've obviously followed Todd's career throughout all his career as National Hockey League, and he's very very successful and a very good coach. You know, Manny, you said a little bit surreal, and you can almost look back on your coaching career and say that because, you know, you were in Europe, you were coaching the Austrian national team, you coached in the Olympics. What what did you, when you look back on that time in Europe, you know, what was a key to your development as a coach or, or maybe... Um, I don't know, maybe something that uh, further ignited that passion or maybe made you think like, hey, maybe someday I am going to get back to the NHL and, 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 and be on a coaching staff. I don't know. I know I'm kind of being kind of general here, but I'm sure there were some pretty um, interesting moments along the way uh, in, in Europe, specifically with Austria and Germany. Well, I think the biggest thing for me, Reed, was, uh, you know, when I, I retired from playing hockey, I played till I was four. Very fortunate to play when I was 40 years old. And um, I was given an opportunity right after that to get into management and also coaching over in Europe. It's how much I enjoyed it. And uh, I really uh, enjoyed it. And I, you know, when I was done playing, I thought I knew everything about the game, but I actually didn't know anything about the game um, until, you know, I started getting into coaching. And then uh, what I, the first thing I did was hire people to work with me uh, that were better coaches and, and uh, you know, better students of the game and had more experience. And um, I learned uh, as much as I possibly could and asked as many questions as I possibly can to the people that I trusted and, and, and who I liked, what type of style of coaching they were. And, um, you know, it's always been for me, is uh, it's, it's never has been work. Uh, it's always fun. Um, and not to say that there's not a lot of work involved. There's a tremendous amount of work that has to go involved in everything at every level. And But it, for me, it's it's not difficult. It's a lot of fun, and I really enjoy it. And for that, for me, is why I just wanted to continue to keep going and eventually said, I want to try to get as, as, as the highest level as possible. And uh, I'm so fortunate to have that opportunity now. New Oilers assistant coach Manny Viviros joining us tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. He, Trent Yanni, and Glenn Gullitson also hired as uh, Oilers assistant coaches. Um, you know, Glenn and, and, and Trent, uh, I don't know how often you may have uh, crossed paths with them before, but uh, any thoughts there or, or any pre-existing relationship with those men? Well, outside of uh, playing against Trent uh, in junior hockey and, and also with Todd junior hockey, um, you know, certainly know who, who these gentlemen are, but I've never had a whole lot of contact. But the hockey world is small, uh, very, very small, so you get to hear a lot of things. And, and, and in this business, you, you hear right away who are good people and good good quality and who are very talented at what they do. And all three of those guys, Todd, Trent, and Glenn, come highly recommended and highly endorsed by everybody in the hockey business. And uh, that's something I'm so looking forward to have an opportunity to, to learn from these guys and, and you know, bounce ideas off them also. You know, I often ask this question. You know, you would have, you would have been coaching pro in Europe uh, last couple of years with Swift, and now into the NHL. So the last couple of years, you would have been dealing obviously with with all players twenty and younger. 
and uh, now you'll be dealing mostly with players 20 and over and obviously some guys into their early or even mid 30s uh, mid 30s is that does that change at all how you relate to players of uh, of different age groups does that change a coach's approach at all well, it certainly does. I think, uh, you know, obviously you have a more established player that's been in, in professional hockey for a number of years. Um, they don't play for a number of years in national hockey unless they get what it understands to be a professional hockey player, whether it's uh, how they, you know, uh, work on ice, work off ice, how do they manage their time, uh, family, um, and everything. And, you know, if you can play in national hockey league for a long period of time, you, you get how that, how everything's supposed to work. Um, you know, with kids, uh, younger kids uh, coming into pro hockey or how we try to, uh, you know, send our kids on from our junior level here is that we try to treat them and get them ready for that next level, professional level, as far as, uh, you know, how they are off ice, uh, time management, getting proper rest, nutrition, and, and everything else. And there's no question, it's a different dynamic as far as mature-wise also, too. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the young kids, we forget that they're just kids, especially at the junior level. And sometimes you just got to allow them to be kids and uh, let them, uh, you know, grow up in a way without pushing them too quick and uh, um, you know that's something that we've this organization's always take pride in like that it's not just the hockey side of it it's more important that we're we're sending uh, mature young men uh, on to the next uh, whatever career uh, choice they make after hockey Manny I almost uh, hate to throw this one at you but you know me I'm going to do it anyway uh, and I know you have a lot of Oilers uh, games and film to watch now uh, to recap the last season but I mean you, you know the story that the power play had some great offensive players on it, but but was but was last in the NHL in terms of percentage over the full year. I mean, I'll ask you just kind of generally your your maybe power play philosophy and what you would hope to uh, maybe contribute to that part of the Oilers this coming season. Well, you know, Reed, uh, right now, um, you know, as far as our our. Uh how everything's going to be delegated as far as with the coaching staff. It's going to be a collaboration of everybody of having input in all the special teams and everything that we do. And uh, right now it's, uh, it's uh, you know, too early for me to say anything about uh, um, what uh, exactly uh, I'll be doing specifically until we all sit down as a coaching staff and, and talk about this. And, uh, um, you know, then when due time we have that, uh, then I'll be able to elaborate more. But again, I, you know, before you can start commenting on certain things, I have to, like you said, look at game film and ask questions, and then and, and ask some questions first of all. So, but uh, you know, maybe we could have this conversation in maybe uh, six weeks or two months from now. Again, <laughs> I can give you a much clearer answer. Fair, fair enough. Uh, Todd, Todd did mention today that that he thinks to start out with, um, you, you'd likely be uh, up top uh, for the first couple of periods, and then be uh, on the bench uh, for the third period. How does that uh, how does that sound to you? I mean, obviously you've you've been on a on a bench a lot, but uh, how do you what do you look for forward to in that role? You know what? Uh, whatever uh, I talked to Todd also too. I said whatever he needs me to do as far as uh, uh, what role, what capacity. He says uh, I'm all in. So um, you know that's something that we think we're always going to discuss later on going throughout the year though. But um, you know, Reed, I'm a rookie. Um, <laughs> my first time in, in this type of position in the National Hockey League, and, and there's going to be an opportunity to, for me or I need some time just to kind of see how things work at the National Hockey League level and everything. So um, you know, whatever they're asking me to do, I'm going to be there 
there uh, to, in full support and do whatever I can. Okay, and uh, I mentioned we'd, we'd kind of put the capper on the uh, on the Broncos season because obviously you and I have talked a lot uh, uh, throughout uh, a pretty fun year overall for the Broncos. I know I know it didn't uh, obviously end the way you wanted at the Memorial Cup, but uh, you know just tell me a little bit about that. I mean, look, it's not a forgiving tournament. Uh, you can have a bad couple games and you're behind the eight ball. Uh, just just how do you look back at the Memorial Cup now that you've had a couple days to uh, to digest it? Well, you know, uh, every experience that we've had uh, throughout the uh, the playoffs and uh, regular season or Memorial Cup, whether it's positive or negative, we, we know our group embrace it and then we you know look at it and, and we move on. Um, you know, our journey just to get there was uh, uh, extraordinary in itself where we played 26 games. I think it was the record of any CHL team in history to get to the Memorial Cup. And uh, there's no question, uh, Reed, we were tired. Um, it was a long year. We played 101 games. Um, and it was a long year for our kids, and our kids were a little bit banged up, and we had a difficult time matching that energy and that intensity level that we did through our playoffs, uh, the two months of our playoffs. And, and that's not taking anything away from the, the teams that beat us. Uh, they're all deserving, the great hockey teams, and uh, and if we uh, played at our, our best during that tournament, uh, you know, we still made me not one, but... Um, you know, our kids were, were really, uh, you know, exhausted at the end of the year, but it doesn't take away uh, at all from how proud we were of our kids and how they dealt with the adversities uh, over the last two months with everything that happened, uh, you know, especially with the humble tragedy also, too. Very proud of our boys. Well, Manny, thanks for talking to us tonight. Uh, I mean, fans are, are are happy for you, and obviously you're a great uh, Edmonton story. You're going to be working here for the Oilers. Congratulations on the new job. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Manny Viviros, new assistant coach for the Edmonton Oilers, along with Glenn Gullitson and Trent Yanni. You'll hear some comments from both of those gentlemen as we move along throughout the show. It is 619. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, don't forget, we have the Eskimos preseason opener Sunday afternoon, 1.30 countdown to kickoff, then the play-by-play with Dave and Morley at 3. I'm also happy to hear from you tonight as we roll into the week. The open line number 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Any comments you have on the Oilers coaching staff talking to many of you after games throughout the Oilers season, you wanted some sort of change. Is this the change you wanted? Are these the guys to join the coaching staff that you have faith in? 630-630-780-496-0063. And you'll also hear from McClellan and Shirelli as we roll along. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Individuals, uh, we, we did get a lot of names, uh, but we targeted these three individuals for their specific talents, their specific experiences, and uh, and compatible personalities. Um, Todd and I, uh, we, we talked a lot about uh, the group, uh, often about the group, and and not so much about the individuals, and. Um, Collaboratively, we we looked at this and uh, and we uh, we went at it methodic, methodically, and uh, we were happy to get these three guys. And they they come from different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, and different skill sets. And 
together the group will challenge each other and uh, I look forward to, to watching them work and, and being part of this group from a management level. Oilers General Manager Peter Shirelli commenting on the new assistant coaches Glenn Gullitson, Trent Yanni and Manny Vivrios. More comments from Shirelli. You'll hear a little bit from Todd McClellan. You'll hear from both Gullitson and Yanni as we roll along tonight and of course you can always get more on 630ched.com. 780-496-0063 We have Jed calling in tonight. Go ahead Jed. Hey, Ray. How are you doing? Good. Stability, experience, the European touch. And you know what it is? They got Manny there working with the young guys, which is going to be good. They got Trent, who I watched when he played uh, for Saskatoon down at uh, Corral or against the Wranglers. He's got tons of defensive experience. And the way he was talking today is he just wants to touch base with these guys and get out of them what they haven't opened up to yet and then you've got a guy that basically watched the Oilers more than anybody else ex-Calgary Flames coach what else more can you ask for it's just he, he seems like he's gone out and touched everything that we have been hoping he's been touching for and if anybody's whining man let's sit back and let's give these guys a chance to see what they can bring to the table well, like I always say, they're undefeated so far, right, Jed? So you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zero zero. And no, I, I always say, hey boys, uh, if you can get a coach of your team that you hated the most, hey man, he's just dying to coach with the Oilers. He can't wait. You should have heard him on the radio this afternoon. I'm gonna exactly. play. I'm, I'm gonna play that clip in the next half hour, Jed. That was a good one. Thanks for calling, buddy. Have a great Thanks, weekend. Guys. You too. Thank you. That is Jed, 780-496-0063. He's feeling good about the new coaching staff. Uh, I, I, look, Rob and I talked about a lot, especially the last 20 games of the season, that, that we expected that there would be a change to the staff, unlikely that it would be the head coach. But things needed to be shaken up. Staffs don't often stay together as long as McClellan, Johnson, Woodcroft, and Herbers were together. Certainly, there are a lot of things about the staff where you say, well, you can hope for the best in terms of some of the past experience and uh, being with a variety of teams around the league. Or, as Jed touched on with uh, Manny Viveros, and as he talked about during his interview, experience uh, in other countries and with other styles of hockey. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630 Inside Sports on Jed. Back after the news. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. for tuning in tonight. Blue Jays leading the Phillies 5-1. That one is in the top of the fifth. Jays have been struggling lately. NBA playoffs about to tip off tonight. Game six, Cleveland home to Boston in the East Final. Boston can win the series. They're up three games to two. Memorial Cup semifinal at eight. Hamilton against Regina. The winner gets a Katie Bathurst in the final on Sunday. Eskimos play Saskatchewan Sunday afternoon, 1.30 for the countdown to kickoff show here on 6.30. Chad, the game will start at 3. Uh, I was talking to Dave and Morley today, and you can get more on 6.30. Chad.com. The, uh, the starters will start 
which usually would be obvious, but sometimes in the preseason it doesn't always go that way. The first stringers will start, though Nate Bahar and Bryant Mitchell, two receivers who are uh, penciled in as starters for the Eskimos, haven't been practicing all week, so they're not expected to play. You can text 630-630, phone number 780-496-0063. We'll hear more from Glenn Gullitson, Todd McClellan, Trent Yanni in the next half hour of the show. The Oilers have hired... Glenn Gulletson, Trent Yanni, and Manny Vivrios as their new head coaches. We had uh, Manny on in the last half hour. Kellen Kennedy is the studio producer this evening. Kellen, just just quickly, Mm -hmm. uh, because I rarely talk to you uh, in person, (laughs) all the updates I get on your life uh, from social media, I have never seen anybody so excited about his parents' garage sale. (laughs) So first of all, congratulations. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Kennedy. You've raised a very thoughtful son. Yeah, it's the first one we've had in a long, long time. That's probably why I'm pretty excited about it. So, all right, is it is it already underway? It is already underway, and uh, we close it up tomorrow. So, all right, did you, anything interesting happen? Uh yeah. Uh, somebody tried paying for a one dollar item today with a fifty dollar bill. Now you were working the till at the garage sale. Yes. What a great son you are. I do what I can. Now, did you have change? We had some change, but not enough to cover the fifty dollar bill. Pretty much. So in. To me, it just a little alert went off in the back of my mind in in case it could you know, have been a counterfeit. It could have been a, exactly a bill. counterfeit bill, right? Yeah, and I have no way of checking 50. it. So you didn't have your counterfeit scanner with you. No, I don't have a, access to like one of those UV scanning things. I, so. I'm no veteran of garage sales, but it would seem to me you wouldn't go with a fifty. No. Because you wouldn't necessarily expect the change to be that handy. And I asked the individual, too, if they had something smaller. They said no, and then they politely declined like, to purchase, and then they left. Like, so. a, like a loony, perhaps? Yeah. Because yeah, you, you would have given it to them for 75 cents. Oh, absolutely. You're a nice I enough given, guy. I would have given it to them for 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nice guy. You should have just said, well, what, can I ask what it was? Uh, was it like Corey, uh, Corey Hart tape? No, it was like a little China bell thing that you, it's like a fine china bell something your parents clearly don't want yeah yeah, yeah you should have just said you drop off the dollar next time you're in the neighborhood yeah you could have done something. that i guess exactly well you're a good man kellen kennedy mm. appreciate it <laughs> it's continuing tomorrow yes exciting stuff yes all right uh you can reach us by texting 63630 dell in vegreville camping out under the giant pisinka Says changing out assistant coaches should have been McClellan's decisions. Replacement should have been his responsibility. Anything less makes him a uh, lame duck. Well, there it is. First text declaring Todd McClellan a lame duck coach because Glenn Gullitson has been hired. I think that might be an excessive label at this point, Dell. But uh, I appreciate you getting in touch. Glenn Gullitson coached the Calgary Flames for the last two years. Uh, Dell, who called in in the last half hour of the show teed up this clip as Gulson was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer earlier today. Uh, Bob did his uh, usual diatribe about calling it the battle uh, for Alberta to keep Alberta teams strong as opposed to the battle of Alberta. I think on one level it, it is perhaps the battle of Alberta. On a season-by-season, game-by-game level, it is the battle of Alberta. Here's what Gullitson had to say. Yeah, well, it's a little different uh, for me because, uh, you know what, when you uh, get fired off the team and uh, you really don't want to see them be successful. So I'm not really, I'm more of the battle of Alberta. Right okay. Now. Uh, and maybe that'll subside. I know the Dallas thing 
decided, uh, you know, maybe a couple years ago. But uh, right now, certainly where I'm sitting, uh, it's, it, it's an out Alberta. All right, and of course, uh, Gullitson was uh, winless in his first seven games coaching against the Oilers before Calgary beat Edmonton twice in March to win that slump. So certainly he's feeling the rivalry, as he said, fired by the Calgary Flames and now hoping to beat them as a member of the Edmonton Oilers coaching staff. As for Todd McClellan, some of the strengths he saw in Gullitson as a coach coaching against him. I thought the one thing that Glenn always did was he played to his team's strength. He didn't try and put a uh, uh, you know a square peg in a round hole. He always used the assets that he had and got uh, for the most part the most out of them. Uh, I always thought he was strong in the uh, in the neutral zone. They had good transition teams, very quick, uh, both in Dallas and and in Calgary. And uh, special teams, uh, like anybody's, they go up and down all the time, but. He has had a, uh, a successful penalty kill, successful power plays in, in both Vancouver and Dallas in different years. The power play, and that is going to be one of the focal points for the Edmonton Oilers to get better. They made history last year by being the first team in the NHL ever to finish 31st in terms of power play because it was the first year the league had 31 teams and the Oilers were dead last at 14.8%. The penalty kill wasn't much better in terms of ranking. It was 25th, but as you know, it was top two on the road most of the year. It was uh, barely above 50% for about the first half of the season on home ice and then it got better overall, but such a huge hole at home. They never, uh, they never got above 80% for the season. So what's going on with the special teams? I, I know there was a lot of questions uh, there were a lot of questions last year who's in charge of this why isn't the power play better why is somebody else not taking control well McClellan was asked that for this year and said how it's going to work with coaching the special teams the special teams were a disappointment this year and I'm stating a, a simple fact uh, in years prior we had uh, a fair level of success with basically the same roster so there's two things that we have to look at. One, um, how we approach things, how we use individuals. And two, the individuals have to look at their ability to produce and, and be effective in those areas. Uh, we're taking care of the coaching part uh, by making some changes, bringing some new and fresh ideas in uh, from experienced coaches. Uh, and then the players themselves are going to have to do a better job of, uh, of producing and, and getting back to the level that they're capable of. Uh, from a coaching perspective and I need to make this clear to everybody we will approach the special teams as a group it won't be single ownership uh, Trent Yanni will not singularly own the penalty kill with our uh, coaching staff uh, Emmanuel Viveros and Glenn Goldson won't singularly uh, own the power play we approach it as a group we always have the success or the failure of it um, lies at all of our feet. And I think this past year, the fact that um, the former coaches were, were singled out quite often as that's their responsibility as a misnomer, we were all responsible. And, and at the end of the day, that falls upon the head coach's job, and that's my responsibility. So those areas need to get better. We believe we have some coaches that can come in and, and help and improve. Uh, but the players also have to take uh, uh, a big step forward next year and, and have some confidence and be productive. 
All right, so there's Todd McClellan on the Oilers' special teams, how it will work on the coaching staff. And as he said, it's it's everybody's responsibility. There may be a little bit more leadership from Yanni when it comes to the PK and from uh, Viviros and Gullitson when it comes to the power play, but they're all going to be involved. Uh, involved. It's not like the other coaches will just step away from one guy and say uh, it, it's, it's totally up to you. So that's how that is going to work. I knew that was going to be a big question coming in. Now... As opposed to, or not as opposed to, here's what Gullitson uh, added to that when he was asked about the power play. What you're really trying to do with those top-end guys is, you know, first of all, um, if you're talking the power play, a lot of stems from your five-on-five game, too. If, you're, if your top guys are feeling it and, and, and they're feeling good and then you put them in good positions on the power play, uh, that can get going. They can get really fickle as well as you can see these wild swings, right, from from uh, 5th to 31st and... and I think what you want to do with the top of the guys, and it's always been uh, our philosophy um, and, and the coaches that I've worked with, is, is you want to put them in the best positions you can to get the best looks. And in order to do that, you give them some, some light structure. I always say the difference between penalty kill and power play is once, you know, a penalty kill can be math and power play is, is art. So you want to give them a little bit of structure so that they can get themselves in the position to use their assets. Well, there's a, a quote that's going to stay in, uh, in my mind. The penalty kill is math and the power play is art. That is from Glenn Gullitson. Well, it was a, a pretty ugly work of art for the Oilers on the, on the power play last season. Um, I, I've said this a million times. I think there was some stubbornness by the coaches last year on the power play, and, and I think there was some stubbornness on the part of the players there are clearly some things to work on. I know McClellan would sometimes throw some stats at us and say, well, you know, Connor McDavid's actually taking, uh, has a greater um, frequency of shots on the power play than he did last year when it was when it was fifth and all that kind of stuff. It didn't seem to me like the Oilers shot as much on the power play. It didn't seem to me that the shots were as dangerous uh, they still really didn't have anybody who was willing to one-time the puck when, when Latestu was on the team and before he was taken on the power play. Sometimes he would just go out there and try to bang one. But there are a variety of ways to score on the power play, and the Oilers didn't really find any of them last year. When they were successful the year before, how did they score? Uh, you know, Latestu got some one-timers. Uh, you know, Clefbaum was shooting from the point decently. Obviously, he was hampered by a shoulder injury this last season. And they were able to get some net front goals, specifically mostly from Lucic and Dreisaitl. And everything dried up for Lucic this season. And, and Rob and I often said that the Oilers didn't do a very good job of screening goaltenders. The net front guy would actually be more beside the goaltender as opposed to right in front of him for, uh, you know, right in his, his line of vision, trying to obscure the shot. I, I think that's a little detail that has to be worked on. And let me ask you this, because I'm assuming many of you watched a lot of Oilers games this past season. And, and this also applies to five-on-five. Five. And when you see other teams do it, it, it looks great. And the, it, the Oilers, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, how many deflection goals did the Oilers score? How many deflection goals did the Oilers score? Shot comes from the point, forward in front, or, or passing through the slot, tips the puck, gives it a little change of direction, and it goes in. How many times did that happen? 
I mean, that's a pretty effective way to score on the power play and create chances and, and, and create rebounds. So there are specific things to be worked on. I, you know, I asked Manny Viveros about it. He didn't get into any details, but just me sitting there off the top of my head and things Rob and I would talk about watching games and then after games with you folks, you know, there, there's a couple of things right there that can help generate more chances on the power play that the Oilers blatantly didn't do and, quite frankly, didn't really try to do or didn't have people in the positions to do. So I wonder if we'll see some things like that with the new coaching staff. Uh, you'll hear from uh, Trent Yanni when we get back. It is 646. Phone number is 780-496-0063. The text line is 63630. It's Inside Sports on Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Well, there's John Cody Sherrick, only played, what, a couple of quarters last season, injured in the first game of the year, back for the Eskimos. You'll see him on the field Sunday afternoon as the Eskimos host Saskatchewan in a CFL preseason game. I uh, said the other night, Kellen, that I think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are going to be really good, and I got uh, a very alarmed text message from a friend who lives in Red Deer but is mm-hmm. uh, a strong supporter of the Edmonton Eskimos. And I, I, The last thing I try to do on this program is alarm people, but apparently saying that I think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are going to be a very good team uh, has, has alarmed at least one person of the 14 who listen. So that's, what, 7%? Maybe there's more. That 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 would be uh, that would be our uh, if we ever if we ever had like an ad on a billboard. Inside sports, seven percent of listeners find the show alarming. Speaking of which, Kellen, you have a text message. Okay. From Greg, the Celtics fan. Do you, do you know this guy? Uh, I don't. He no. will says I will donate one hundred dollars to Kellen's garage sale if he lets me suplex him through a table for the WWE title. Ooh. That sounds painful. What is, what is that? <laughs> that sounds bad. Is that when you pick somebody up and he throws yeah, you he back does. over your head? Exactly. Wow. And he's talking about throwing me through a table, which would not end well. Now, is, are there any tables for sale at the garage sale? That, because uh, Greg could purchase the table for $100 and then break it by suplexing you through it. No, in fact, I think we rented some, so we have to have them back in... <laughs> Close to good condition at the end right. of the weekend. So you have a lot of information about your parents' garage sale. This I really was, am quite impressed. You think it's easy to put on a garage sale? It isn't, man. It's a lot of work. Oh, well, I wasn't saying it was easy. <laughs> oh, no, it sounds like a pain. Like I think if my parents said, "Hey, we're having a garage sale," I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I got plans that weekend." Oh, but you're all in. Yeah. Well, I have some stuff I'm trying to get rid of, too. So, uh, Terrence from Red Deer says, I am also from Red Deer. I love how he signed Terrence from Red Deer and then wrote, I am also from Red Deer, and I, too, am alarmed. Sorry about that. Uh, this texter says, I don't think anyone is in front of the net on the Oilers' power play because they know there's not much of a shot coming from the point. They're all waiting for Connor to magically put one right on their stick for an easy goal. It was far too predictable and easy on opposing teams. Fair point. Uh, this texture says, read the power play should be McDavid on the goal line, Nuge on the half wall, Clefbaum up top, Dreisaitl in the bumper, and Puliyarvi on the right wall hash marks. All right. Well, I guess my follow-up question to that texture would be, uh, who's on your other unit? All right. We, <laughs> we had somebody text in. Oh, wait. There's more to this person's text. Uh, Dreisaitl could slip in front for tips when Clefbaum is shooting and redirects from McDavid passing across the crease. Well, you know, the, 
the the power play was one of those things. There there are very few bad ideas when when the, the power play is last. I mean, the penalty kill actually got better. So you could say, well, try anything on the power play on the penalty kill, and I could say, well, hold on, wait a minute. They did a really good job on the road, and it, it came together at home in the second half of the season, even though it wound up with a bad standing and a, and a poor percentage overall. There, there were some bright lights related to the penalty kill. There weren't really any to the power play. I, I appreciate the detail of the, of the ideas that some people have, though. Maybe we could get people to fax us their uh, power play uh, alignment. Uh, Sheldon says, good evening, Reed. I would not have made any moves until we know, knew the status of Trotz and Cooper. There had been some rumblings they could be moved. Well... All right, I would I would think both guys uh, would likely be back, and then Sheldon, you're suggesting firing Todd McClellan, and then I'm just just to play devil's advocate, Sheldon. Then you're really waiting. Then you're waiting till after the Stanley Cup final, and then maybe the assistants that you're trying to hire aren't sitting around waiting to see what you're trying to do. So, you know, fair enough. But I mean, they committed to Todd coming back, so they they named the new assistants today. All right. Uh, I had somebody write in when uh, the Gullitson clip was playing. This texture said, is that the coach who tossed his stick into the seats? Which Gullitson did during a practice at the Saddle Dome. So I texted back, yes. And uh, then this texture said, the media better bring their helmets when going to the rink for practice then. Well, I texted back, I already wear one. Because why wouldn't I, Kellen? And uh, then this texter, who I appreciate his or her sense of humor, says, do you think he can get more distance in Rogers? <laughs> well, that's, I may have to ask Glenn Gulletson that, if I, perhaps there's ever a lighter moment. I mean, I think because the lower think, bowl is bigger than the saddle, though. I, I think that was a bit of an impromptu stick throw. So if he maybe practiced it and then kind of knew when during practice it was going to happen and got more of a run at it, maybe went javelin style, I think he could get more distance. Uh, This texture says, Reed, they should run their power play like Pittsburgh, load up the top unit, who cares about unit two? I'll I'll counter that again because this is an interesting debate. There was, uh, I can't remember which game it was during the Leafs-Boston series, and uh, now I can't even remember if it was during the intermission or, or during one of the periods. But they said how each power play unit for the Leafs generally gets one minute. And if you're bad, you're off the ice. If you do well, you start the next power play. It, you know, if one power play noticeably does better than, than the other one, th- then it starts it's, it starts the next one. Now, if the orders do load one up, then you're probably going to play the, the, the better units. But uh, I don't know. Uh, this texture says, well, well, I do know what I think. I, I, I would sooner have both power play units that are have some potency to them, at least hopefully, and maybe create a little internal competition for ice time. Uh, this texture says, the good thing about Edmonton's power play is that it can't get any worse, or at least I hope not. Well, it can't get worse in terms of ranking. Don't forget, it could get worse in terms of percentage if we're going if we're to go down that road. 14.8%. The Fizzler, who is a, uh, a rare texture to inside sports, but he's always appreciated, says, uh, Hey, Reed, Bob is going to have to protect those energy drinks if Gulletson is throwing sticks into the stands. 
Excellent observation, Fizzler. I do have more clips from McClellan, Gullitson, and Yanni, and Terry Crisp on the 1968 St. Louis Blues standing by. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.